everybody, it's Jim Colby from the Current Guys Podcast. Today, I want to share some some sad news with you. As many of you know, our friend Julie from Secrets Farms, Julie's had a, a loss in her life. Julie's spouse, Jean Cannon, has passed away from a stroke. And this happened several weeks ago, and we'd like to step up and try to help out the family. So what we're doing is we started the GoFundMe, and you'll be able to find that on the podcast notes. And what they're trying to do is they're, going to, they're using a company called the Eternal Reef. What they do is they take the ashes from the deceased, mix it with cement, and they put it out in the Tampa Bay area to become a permanent coral reef. Those are her final wishes. So what we're hoping that you could do is step up, throw in five bucks, 10 bucks, help this uh, cause to an end of a very sad, sad thing that's happened. Sorry, I was going to tear up a little bit. You'll see in the show notes the GoFundMe link. Please consider donating. We'll miss you, Gene. Normally, this would be the spot where we have an ad for JoeShrimpShack.com, which, by the way, you can still save 15% off using promo code AquariumGuys at checkout. But we decided to take this time and Joe's money and sponsor uh, a bit of the didgeridoo solo for you. So, uh, Jim, take it away. You can do it, buddy! This didgeridoo compliments of joeshrimpshack.com. Let's kick that podcast. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we are guests. We have to be in our best behavior, Jimmy, all right? I put on clean underwear. You're actually wearing pants for the podcast. I, I did, because I, I didn't know we might have new people looking in, and I wanted to uh, be uh, socially appropriate. Pants, extra pair of socks, you even did your hair. Clean underwear. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Well, we are in the uh, different Discord today. We are visiting Aquatic Affinity. They are a, a community of fish keepers that uh, generally base their stuff out of a Discord, uh, much like our fan base does, but uh, also have a website, aquaticaffinity.org. And thanks so much for having us come. Uh, Zook, uh, just take a minute. You're one of the head admins here. If you just want to say a piece about uh, you and your organization. Hello, uh, my name is Zook. Uh, you might hear them call me Zookini. In our server, we're all about trying to help uh, people who are new to the hobby. Uh, <laughs> Did not expect that immediately. I'm sorry. Hey, uh, you got the floor. No, no, no rush here. No pressure. No, no pressure. Don't screw this up. <laughs> Whatever you do. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you guys. Super excited. A little nervous. Pretty nervous. Not gonna lie. Hey, well, I'm sure. Is too. We'll we'll do our best to be as uh, as as uh, polite as possible. Jimmy, again, they'll be telling us to fluke off in no time. There is no reason <laughs> to put our. Uh, Anything but our best foot forward. Um, so tonight, why are why we're in Aquatic Affinity is because they gathered together um, this week and brought together a bunch of their favorite questions for Doctor Fish. And again, Doctor Fish is in the house. Uh, James, you are the uh, head of Seagrass Health, and it is a pleasure having you on. This is the fourth episode. You got to be getting sick of us by now. Oh, absolutely not. I uh, love being here. So. That was that was the right answer. Yeah, he's smiley. He's, he's smiley. Yeah, he's wearing a bright orange Seagrass shirt tonight. He's he's on par and ready to go. 
All right. Yeah, special thanks to Secrets Farms for allowing uh, uh, Dr. Fish to come on and, and help us out uh, monthly is what we've been trying to do now. And it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful experience, and we get a lot of questions answered. We do repeat a few questions now and again, so if you've heard some of these questions asked before, uh, we apologize. But uh, we have new listeners every week, and we just want to make sure everybody's uh, covered. So, again, thanks to Secrets Farms. Uh, thanks to Sandy Moore uh, for allowing this to happen, and we really appreciate your time, James. Thank you. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. It's it's been a blast each and every time. So for so happy for, to be here for final introductions. I'm your host Rob Zolson. I'm Jim Colby, and I'm Adam El Nashar. Holy crap, he showed up. We got him. All right, and he sounds good tonight. He does. He sounds <laughs> sexy. He does, as always. But we still got to do a couple updates. Uh, James has been too long. Do you have any news in your world and life since we last talked? Uh, it's still business, crazy business. So uh, business is up all over in uh, aquatics. Uh, so it's been actually hard to fill all of our orders. Uh, just banging away. Gotcha. Um, last time we talked, we, we had a, a video, and you, you said that you did some homework for us. Um, the video, and again, we'll have uh, show notes. Maybe some one of uh, our um, listeners can uh, can share the YouTube video. But it was about Mawin Sweetwater. And the idea was, uh, just to preface for those that have no clue what we're talking about, there's a video that we found where they were claiming that the power of Christ, <laughs> in so many words and phrases, uh, was blessing the water to both handle fresh and saltwater creatures. And they had basically their own public aquarium in, this was in uh, South Korea, a public aquarium showing hard saltwater and freshwater species all blended in the same tanks. It was something we've never seen before. The video went on for like four to six minutes and it showed a ton of details and the fish, it was very hard to like Photoshop that it, you could see fish shadowing on top of each other. Uh, just the craze amount of fish. It had everything from, you know, discus to trigger fish. I mean, everything in, in all these tanks, it was Truly something creepy that we don't understand. And the whole idea behind this was is some sort of like religious advertisement to come, you know, see their church and talk to them more about it. Uh, because again, they bless the water. Now the water can sustain any life, uh, according to what they said. So have you, uh, you come up with any facts on that one? Uh, yes, actually I have, uh, in, in a roundabout way to, it took a, uh, quite a bit of, uh, searching through the interwebs there, but uh, found another video uh, from Aquarama in 2009. Uh, was showing the same thing. Oh, okay. That, that led me to uh, a couple websites, and uh, which led me to the, the origin of what was called Wonder Water, and it was actually a product that Cordon was making uh, back in the 50s. And uh, it, basically, it's a b blend of uh, monosaccharides and polysaccharides uh, that make it freshwater sustainable for marine fish. You're kidding. No. Wonder for, Water. And it, it's a product what, made in the 50s? It, it was. Uh, they never <clears throat> really brought it to market uh, to the hobbyist level because they couldn't convince people uh, to keep the proper fish together because... Uh, you, you go throw in your, your typical freshwater fish into uh, a tank with reef fish, mm, not, not a good outcome. I'm, I'm so just blown away by this. So 
is there any like recreation where we can purchase some of this? Uh, what's exactly in it? Uh, they do not say. Uh, uh, there, there's a really good story about it on the Cordon website, though. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll get these uh, links and information from uh, Doc here and put them in the show notes in the podcast so people can do their own research. But 1950s product called Wonder Water never really released to the public. Somehow these guys got a hold of it, and now they're uh, somehow sustaining salt water in fresh and moving forward. It, it seemed to work. I mean, the fish looked healthy. They, they didn't look stressed out. They were full-colored, and it, you can you certainly tell. I mean, when a fish is—and they're, they're holding. They're not just, like, doing shots and moving the camera quick. They were holding those fish, and the amount of movement, and they didn't look stressed at all, full-color. They, they were feeding? Feeding very well. Yeah, it was very interesting, and, and it was a, a, quite a shock to see, but it, it's fun to find out that there actually is a logical explanation behind this, even though we don't know— the concoction of the stuff that they put in there, but it, it actually has been done. Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, uh, the the most recent uh, evidence I could find of it being used, of course, it wasn't under the Cordon name, uh, was at Aquarama. And I think they were calling it uh, mir- Miracle Water there or something like that. And were you able to purchase this off the back of a comic book next to the Sea Monkeys? Mir- miracle Water <laughs> there or something like that. And were you able? I to- loved Sea Monkeys when I was growing up. So apparently we have now broke, since we were uh, in this uh, server with Aquatic Affinity, we have broke the Discord channel limits. So for those that want to listen in, uh, we're live on twitch.tv forward slash aquarium guys. If you want to listen in live, you can see us, the whole thing. There'll be uh, a, a live chat in the comments. And just, just remember, you know, beautiful people are on TV and ugly people are on podcasts. So we don't need any comments about what Rob and I look like. I know I'm not on there today. I know, and you're 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 the man candy of the whole bunch. So that's that's pretty uh, sad for everybody. I'm gonna post it into the announcements. Wonderful. So, I I appreciate you guys accommodating us like that. All right. So Jimmy, you had a question that you brought to the table, and then we'll get into some of the fan submissions and then we'll get into this wonderful community's line of questions. Perfect. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions. I've got two questions. Uh, I got a phone call today from uh somebody who gave her my number and her question was um i've got a goldfish and it's got the belly up every once in a while up on top and and then it swims down it floats back to the top and i was trying to explain to her about swim bladder issues and we've talked about this in the past uh she tried uh feeding peas to it and i said you know maybe we'll try some duckweed but can you just go over real quick what the few things that you can do for for these goldfish that have swim bladder issues (sighs) The, the the peas thing uh, typically works. Uh, not it doesn't always. Unfortunately, uh, it's really going to depend on what the source of the issue is. Uh, if it's an actual systemic bacterial infection, uh, that can cause it, and very little to do there uh, other than some broad spectrum antibiotic in, in a food fashion. But also, uh, you you can try uh, soaking in some Epsom salt. Sometimes uh, that will as well otherwise i know the other uh scenarios and this is a rare case because there's not a ton of you know fish veterinarians that we have are you talking about burping the fish again no taking a uh, syringe needle and actually uh you know pulling out some uh, air out of the bladder directly now i don't recommend this for only professionals because let's say 
it's just a normal uh, swim bladder case where you know n- normal remedies or time should fix it. Um, you could easily kill your fish. Puncture, uh, puncture the uh, swim bladder and have it irreparably rupture. There, there's a lot of real things. Infection. It definitely don't do it on your own. Definitely leave it to a professional. But that is uh, an option that I see some people do with bigger koi or pond goldfish that they want to spend a lot of money on and have that procedurally done if nothing else works. Yeah, this was a, a gal that had this goldfish now, of course, for you know seven, eight years and stuff. What is in the peas or or the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Duckweed. Well, well, fiber, Jimmy. Fiber? No, I'm kidding. What, what, what you got for us, Doc? Uh, honestly, I, I'm not sure exactly what causes that. Uh, I, I something I probably should know. I, I really don't know why it does work, but I, I've seen it work before. And I've seen it not work before, unfortunately. I've heard some people suggest that their diet is too high a protein. It's uh, causing uh, a lot of different levels in the fish's system to go haywire. And then, again, when your body's out of whack, your swim bladder is the first thing uh, for a fish to uh, to be hit, so to speak. And just having uh, a little bit more uh, plant matter in their diet tries to clear out some things. But... Not like, you know, they're, they're constipated and suddenly their swim bladder goes. That's not the point. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to know exactly what that would be. So yeah. more homework for Dr. Fish. I'm going to give her some duckweed that I've got, got it. and see if that helps her at all. Because she tried the peas and, and the fish wouldn't eat it. And uh, so I told her to put peas in, uh, in with the carrots. Well, duckweed's delicious. Because <laughs> so, peas and carrots well, are delicious. Did you tell her to take the skin off the pea? Yeah, she did that. Huh. And the fish wouldn't look at it. Usually, I've never had any problems with that before. Yeah. So, I have, I have one other question, and Adam and I have been wondering about this. We are hearing that the U.S. government is uh, not that far away from approving some sort of, of chemical to, to be used in tropical fish that will keep most of your guppies all male. Do you know what that is? Uh, they, they are working on legalizing methyl testosterone for, for use in. Uh fish so our fish not just food fish and and, and so there's tropical fish correct okay and adam you had some questions about that too because you and i were talking about it uh before okay so one of the questions i had was does this turn so i'm assuming it doesn't have 100 percent success rate right correct so what happens to the female fish are they sterile or are, are they what we call in leopard geckos and in reptiles hot females where they'll act like a male, they'll be they'll bulk up like a male, but they won't be a male, but they won't have kids. Or they'll be yeah, sterile. Yeah, we've uh, in the past we've called those mules a lot of the times. Okay. Uh, and and I I suppose that could happen. Uh, I I I don't really work on the breeding side, so I I really can't answer as to what would happen with those fish. Uh, but uh, the the way I understand it, uh, it's just going to. Uh, make the males throw or make the spawn throw more males and and for those people who are out there wondering why you want more males can you explain to people why we want more males in in the hobby well uh the because uh you know one male can fertilize a lot of females and uh oh they hold color right yeah And, and you can you can pass on uh more genetic you know you can more of the genetic traits uh, you know you, they're expressed more in the male so you can see what's going on really designing your fish the way you want to and and the other thing too for for people 
if you own a pet store and you're selling guppies, most people want the males because they're the most colorful. And so they're usually in a little bit more demand, except for people who are breeding. A lot of stores only provide males just because of the uh, sake that um, most people just want to buy, oh, I'll have like two females and then I'll get eight males, which eight males will harass two females to death. And people don't understand yeah. they need to keep a ratio. Well, I don't want the ugly, ugly female, a tank full of those and then two males. And people just don't get it and let their fish get abused. So, any other questions from you gentlemen before we uh, kick into the uh, that was me. messages into the show? That was all I had. I just, like, buttoned in front of the line and stuff. So, all right. Start out with the other question. I'm going to get off topic. We got a review this week. It says, uh, five stars, super nice content, uh, good guy humor. I feel like a fly on the wall as a woman sometimes. Hello. I like the content. Uh, has variety for all interests. Thank you, guys. And that is from Canada. Your mom's in Canada now? She is not. Oh, okay. I was just checking. That border is closed, Jimmy. <laughs> that border is closed. That border is closed. Well, thank you very much for the nice review. Um, yeah, I'm sorry we don't have a female perspective on here, but um, sometimes Rob yells at me long enough, and I get kind of weepy, so. I mean. So there you go. I could just, you know, try to raise my voice and pretend to be Rebetta. There you go. All right. Well, I was gonna say, isn't Rob kind of sometimes naggy like your ex-wife did? He See? does. There you go. For for Christmas, what I'm getting Rob this year is I'm gonna get handrails installed on my butt because he <laughs> he rides my butt so much. It's for his safety, so he doesn't fall off when he's riding me. Also. I just like the view. All right. Wow. I just like the view. All right. There's more man humor for there you. There you go. So we have a text message from the UK. I could not text them back. Because apparently our Google Voice service doesn't allow us to message them back. So uh, to Josh in the UK, this is from you. Uh, hi, Robbie and the guys. I got a question I've never answered before, and I'd like to know. Uh, is it possible to uh, parameter shock? And again, I'm going to do this for doctor. I saved this one for doctor. Um, is it possible to parameter shock uh, biological filtration bacteria into a mass die-off, similar how you can parameter shock a fish? Absolutely. Uh, typically, the, the, the most resident species of nitrifiers uh, in your freshwater aquarium, uh, if, if, they're, if you're living even in the sevens, low sevens, even, even sixes, uh, all the way up to the higher ranges, uh, once you hit about 5.5 pH, they're just going to shut down. Uh, they don't really die, but they kind of go dormant and they don't want to feed and your ammonia will go crazy. So the, the uh, next part of this is, in this case, I have crystal red shrimp, and I want to change to neocardinia. Um, after removing the crystal shrimp, would, rap uh, would rapidly change pH from 6.4 to 7.5, and the hardiness would be almost be nothing of GH of 9. KH would be 4. Nothing to kill the uh, filter bacteria, question mark. Or would the filter bacteria be just fine in that scenario? Uh, you should be fine on that. Uh, no, it's it's more it's pH dependent. Perfect. That's a great question. Wish I would have thought. Yeah, it is. It's all right. Brownie points for uh, Josh in the UK. Just because I can't text him back and I feel bad. All right. So that concludes the uh, emails and other messages that we've had through the week. Again, shout out to aquaticaffinity.org. This is the community that we're live in tonight. And all these questions are uh, from the community members. They've been sending uh, messages into the board all night long. So directly from the top, let's start, uh, start getting into this in, uh, in big ways. Jimmy, you want to, uh, want to read this first one? All right. Here's the first one. And this is from... This is from... Uh, this, is this is from, from Zook. Zook. This is from Zook. 
She said, I'm writing an article on freshwater diseases for aquarium affinity and was wondering when zoonotic disease pose a threat that people should know about aside from fish tuberculosis. So I'm considering writing a separate zoonotic disease article. Oh, uh, many, many zoonotic pathogens out there uh, in, in, the, in the hobby. Uh, so uh, bacteria are probably your, your biggest one. Multiple, multiple, and bacteria is just like a huge category. Like you're you're, you're throwing dice because you don't know what's actually going to be uh, be put from that, or is there specific kinds that you see pretty commonly from zoonotic issues transfer oh, from aquarium? Yeah, uh, 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 vibrio, uh, which is the uh, the genus that causes uh, cholera, uh, vibrio cholerae, being this the, the specific species of bacteria. There's also uh, fungal infections that people can get from aquariums, so. Uh, always best uh, to anytime you're working your aquarium. Always uh, use good hygiene when you're done. Wash your hands, soap now, and water. Now I do have a follow up question for this one. Um, I know we're going to get it already, and we've actually got it in the past, and I've chose to ignore it. But uh, let's say that you're at Jimmy's place, right, and he has an indoor pond. Uh, one of his guests get wicked trashed, and they end up naked in his pond. Is it possible that <laughs> it has <laughs> happened that sexually transmitted diseases? Can be carried in your aquarium or pond. <laughs> can, can Rob give my fish herpes? Is what he wants to know. Right. That's, that's another. That like he has the same look that he gave me when I told him that garlic worked. Ick. See. <laughs> just, I was like, why am I I'm here right say, now? I I know there are zoonotic diseases that come from fish to humans. I do not know of any zoonotic diseases that go from humans to fish. Darn, I tried, boys. I so, really so did. So if you're hooking up with your koi, you're probably good. You sorry. have mental No, issues. I'm not endorsing that whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Rob made me read the hard question. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take turns. Adam, uh, in, there, there's a channel above us. It's uh, Dr. Fish Questions. Make him read the next one. And we are like four <laughs> questions down. Willard's the next question. Do you see it there in the row there, Adam? Um, okay, just one sec. From the top? Holy shit. So, go all the way to the top. We're going yep. from top down, and it should be the okay. fourth question down. We'll have to do some editing here. <laughs> Are there any safe ways to have hormones, add hormones to my tank so my fish get horny? <laughs> that, that's... We're not holding back on you tonight, Doctor. Yeah. We're giving you all the wow. good questions. Why? Uh, horny fish. Uh. <laughs> So I feel like you should just put an example. I always like to pick on Siamese algae eaters because Siamese algae eaters don't commonly, uh, especially not in uh, ways to replicate easy enough, uh, breed in the hobby. They, they give you the cold shoulder. So f for that for that instance, <laughs> we'll use that as an example for you, Doc. Uh, gotcha, what gotcha. Uh, what hormones uh, are they used to make them horny? Uh, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> We have to condition them first. Hey, yeah, little for, berry white foreplay. I mean, no, what? no, 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 no. You have to like get your fish all conditioned before you can just go randomly squirting hormones in there. Yeah, you got to take like them out. Got to take them out in the night of the towns. You know, buy them dinner. Buy them dinner. Tell them they're pretty. Serenade them. Yeah, Doctor yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Gonadotropin and gonadotropins are what they typically use uh, when they're trying to spawn fish. Uh, it, they call it injection spawning. Uh, and they, they'll actually go in there and shoot them up the way they go. And where does one find this? Like on horny.com? I mean, where do you find no, this? No, no. Don't go there. Lonelyfishfarmers.com. There you go. Uh, 
companies like uh, Sigma Aldrich would 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 have uh, gonadotropins. And, and do you like. need a license to have those? I, I I'd imagine some there will be. Uh, we don't do any injection spawning at Seagrass, but there are there are farms around us that uh, that do quite a bit of it. And and so, do you need a license for that? I do not believe they have to have a special license. No. Well, I mean, it's I'm assuming all uh, farming procedures are state per state. So we're asking about Florida specifically. So that if you don't know, then they probably can do it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I'm not aware of of them having to apply to get any special license to to, to have that to have that chemical you know now now whether whether the company will sell it to you is a whole different story so jimmy we are going to be speaking with the ftffa here in a future podcast so we will ask them because i know they're a uh, a co-op that helps a bunch of fish farmers and it isn't a collective of fish farmers together so he should be able to answer if they you know they stock chemical if you have to have a license for it uh, all those questions so we'll we'll, we'll bag that yeah. one yeah yeah, Jerry. Jerry's a great guy. I imagine that's probably who you're gonna uh, be speaking with. I think it's uh, he David helps us Boozer out every week. Oh, David. Cool. Yes. Yes. Sweet. All right. So I'll do the next question. So, Adam, follow along because we're gonna uh, okay. share these questions here. So the next one is from Gabe. What risks are posed by the use of antibiotics in the aquarium setting in regards of antibiotic uh, resistant bacteria? Do we have to worry uh, about such things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the that's a multifold uh, issue. Uh, not not only do you have to worry about uh, bacterial parasites in your system becoming resistant to the antibiotics, uh, the, there's also uh, the antibiotics getting into the, the environment and causing other uh, issues. So it's like a double concern. Like for humans, yes, they talk about anti uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria, like MRSA stuff in hospitals. And we Correct. have to worry about, you know, some of the things that we get in contact with that we touch and then also in our person. But with aquariums, fish are in their own Petri dish. That's where they live. It's not just their system. It's uh, literally a botanical of uh, of uh, slurry that you need to worry about. So only use antibiotics if you absolutely must. And always try to seek your best professional help from either a community, preferably a veterinarian, but uh, again, most of us have to be at least our our best effort fish doctors on our own. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, recently, in, in the past few years, it, it's become such a problem. Uh, not, not not as much with fish, uh, but with other food animals, uh, pigs and uh, chickens. That they were actually using antibiotics in their feed to boost their growth rate, and uh, instead of treating them for for diseases. And, and that got into the environment, of course. And uh, they've recently passed a veterinary feed directive. So you, you it's almost like having a prescription for an antibiotic in feed, but it, it's not an actual pres- prescription, but it might as well be. Gotcha. Well, for the next question, hit that up, Jimmy. Which one? One in the blue there? Highlighted for you. Let me see. Oh, my God. You got to use your glasses. Well, that one, the color throws me off. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I find out Jimmy's colorblind. Oh my god! <laughs> Why do you give me this one? I hate snails. All right. Is it okay to purposely put pest snails with the plants you sell? So I think I need to like reclarify this question, right? Because I've been asked this before in a few different ways. So just to purposely put what you consider as a pest snail with your plants to be a dick, not cool. Um, for those to leave certain snails with plants that you sell intentionally, as long as you're communicating that to you, who you're selling them to. 
or notify them that, hey, asterisk, there's probably snails in my plants to let them know ahead of time. That's, that's the ethical thing. I purposely, when I have new fish keepers come over, I give them plants. I say, here, here's a couple ram's horn snails that are on them. They'll help you out in the long run. They're a good snail to have. These are what bad snails look like. Squish those. And I, I, it's, a, it's a bit of an education thing. But do you see uh, any of uh, that being done in marketing? Or uh, what's some options for snail-free plants that you see at Seagrass? Our end, uh, we try to uh, send our plants 100% snail-free. Uh, and if we're shipping out of the country or something like that, we'll actually dip them. Uh, we'll dip them in bleach and uh, a very light, very light bleach solution. What a, what bleach solution mixture would you recommend? Oh, I had I don't have it off the top of my head. It's it's written down. So we I used to. A, it's a secret. Really bleach. It's so. a secret. <laughs> I used to use a big bleach uh, mixture, but then I moved to actually chlorine tabs. Have you uh, used those personally? Uh, no, because we use the, uh, we've got the 12 and a half percent bleach right at the farm. Ooh. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got so the good it, shit. It, yeah. <laughs> in the liquid form. So it, it just takes a little bit. I, I, if I had to guess, I, I'm going to say it was only, it's only like 10 mils to, to, uh, three gallons, I think, but I, don't quote me on that. Perfect. And so you just take, take the plants before, especially when you're sending it out of the country, You'll take the plants and give them a quick, what, five-second dip, or? Yes, correct, yep. And will that kill any snails that may possibly be on there, or eggs, too? Well, mostly mostly we're targeting the eggs. Uh, the snails, you know, we're pretty much going to see them unless they're itty-bitty tiny. Uh, and, uh, you know, then we thoroughly rinse them as well. Uh, actually, uh, soak them and uh, soak them and then rinse them. Well, uh, Adam, you got that next question? All right. What meds would you recommend using to use as a precautionary measure with super sensitive wild caught licorice gourmets? I've always done just salt for my other fish, but from what I've heard, it'll make the water too hard for them and kill them. That's actually a really good one. That's from Willard. Yeah. Yeah, that that's still going to be uh, preventative wise. That, that that's still going to be my best bet. Uh, maybe not as strong a, a salt TDS level. But uh, it's still, it's still going to be salt for, for preventative. Doctor, I, I would like to take a moment here and uh, just tell you. So we just put out the first rendition of the Aquarium Guys merch line. You can find it. Again, the, it's in the show notes. Certainly uh, check it out. Uh, Jimmy, Adam, and I all have a promo code. So again, promo code Rob's Adam Jimmy for 5% off to pick your favorite Aquarium Guy host. But we're also wanting to include you here uh, in the next round here, uh, Doc. We want to get uh, a couple T-shirts, and one of them we want uh, just just a picture of salt, uh, you know, and sprinkling it over an aquarium. That's going to be the next design just for you. Just want to let you know that. Awesome. Why why can't we just have him also saying you need more tanks? You need more tanks. You definitely need more. Tanks. There's just too many T-shirt ideas. We have to pick our favorites, and I think salt is certainly the one, best one for Doc. I was going to say when I when I read that uh, question along with Adam, I'm thinking to myself, well, first you need a new tank. According yep. to that licorice grami. So I do have a I do have a question that is sort of related. that is with this <laughs> with this question. Um, could you try like all salts basically the same? But like, say you wanted to throw in, I'm just throwing out ideas here, like Himalayan pink sea salt. Would that make any much of a difference? Would that mess with anything? 
or like you know how there's different like Celtic sea salts. You're giving me that look again, and I don't. No, 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 no. It's uh, I just want to make it tasty. I mean, sea salt for the most part is going to be just sea salt. Uh, okay. That now, if you're you're trying to uh, make a tank for some reflate cichlids or something like that, then then yeah, you you, you may want to you know customize your no your sodium sodium chloride, your magnesium chloride, you know your, your different salts. But uh, but when when you're talking when you're talking sea salt, sea salt is pretty much sea salt. Okay. So what do you so think? The, how about garlic salt? No, 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 no well, Lowry's well, either. I, I mean, it, I think that might be too much garlic. <laughs> what? Hey, what, what, if, you're, what if your fish is when dead? Your tank and smells it. like garlic. It uh, will kill you your vampire crab, sir. Yeah. Well, Adam, Adam's the one that that's, loves the garlic guard, and I uh, do. And I thought, well, garlic salt should work for Adam. That's just because he smells like that. I do not smell like garlic salt. <laughs> you smell like kombucha, you weirdo. All right. So next question. We had a, a private message to me. I'm asking about saltwater dips and how to do them and what are the risks. So this comes from a, um, a lot of instructions, and I've done this uh, to fish in the past. When you see a fish, uh, specifically with fungus, you, you see a lot of uh, guides and instructions to make a saltwater mixture in a, a separate bucket, dip your fish into them. It's a very high concentration of salt, far surpasses even like saltwater aquarium. Again, it is a dip. So how... What, how would you do that? What are some of the risks associated in doing that? Uh, you're definitely going to shock the fish, uh, but uh, you, you're hoping that the, sh the shock uh, is not more than uh, the benefit uh, of any parasite you might be knocking off. Uh, full strength seawater is, is fine to use. Uh, I, I really I, I don't suggest going over that. And uh, it, it's an eyes-on thing. Even if you've done it a hundred times with one species of fish, you always have to stay right there. You dip the fish until they are. The, the best way to do it is you dip them and until they start to to float and and not seem right, and then you immediately put them back into their water. So I had an extreme case, and this is uh for me recently. I have a full-grown bala shark. And the shark continually, like, he's very skittish in the middle of the night. Like, he'll jump and hit the glass continually. And there's always, like, little marks on his nose and whatnot. Well, of course, over time, beat yourself up enough. You're going to get some uh, issues on the scales and, uh, and face and eyes. And sure enough, I had a full-on fungus bloom on him. So I took him out, dipped him, and it shocked him to where he was stiff dead. It was, he just literally wouldn't move. I put them back uh, in the aquarium, and for those that are having uh, problems trying to figure out like how to do like a CPR with your fish, you take your fish, keep them as in the position as though they were swimming, and gently hold them and move them back and forth in the water, and that <laughs> allows them to have water be pushed through their gill plate, and he re he revived. I'm looking at him right now, and sure enough, he's uh, it cleared up all the issues, but now I see he jumped again, and he's got some more scars on his nose. So I'm feeling, seeing like I'm going to be having to do some salt dips. But are, are you going to be doing this again with your? Yeah, it's literally. It's just. I hate to say that motion, like a jerk off motion, but just it, that's literally enough. Just a little bit back and forth, so he can get water in his gill plates, and that's that's the best re recovery. But uh, should have done that with your stingray. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 too a soon. sad. That's a, too soon. That's too soon. But yeah, have you had issues? Uh, you know, fish just absolutely flatlining. Um, Real quick, too. Like, it was a dunk. He took a gasp and then just went stiff. Like, it was crazy. Uh, 
Not not really. Uh, now those fish, uh, for other reasons, I, I've I've had some really odd experiences with ballast sharks. Uh, once when I first started working at Seagrass, they were back then uh, we called uh, picking fish and sucking shit. But uh, <laughs> but that's when we did everything. I mean, we 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 did it all. We put the fish away. We picked the fish. We boxed the fish. We all got in a line and uh, put the fish on the truck the, in boxes. It, it was pretty cool. But we got this shipment of bala sharks in, and I opened up the box just like normal. Uh, as soon as the lid comes open, all the bala sharks hit the top of the bag and died, every one of them. Whoa, that's it, a lot. It, it was amazing, and, and uh, it was so sad, and, and I nearly cried. And uh, Well, you should have... You should have CPR jerked them. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, they were goners. <laughs> they were done. <laughs> Nothing will get them back up. Wow. What do you, what do you do? So part two of this question I have, can you do, you can do a freshwater dip on saltwater fish? I've done Absolutely. That. Yes. Uh, actually very important. Uh, uh, something we do with uh, all of our Atlantic fish that uh, come through our uh, marine department. And so that, that's just the same way you do it uh yes say you do it in the same fashion uh the the big thing with that though uh you you do need to make sure your ph is really close uh you want to make sure it's pretty close with your freshwater fish too but it's not as imperative uh but you definitely want to make sure uh the the freshwater dip that you're using has the same ph as uh the marine tank yeah, you just have to eyes on always, and as soon as they start to to show signs of stress, that's when you want to remove them from that dip. Um, you had said that you do it for the all, all the Atlantic fish. You don't do yes. you don't freshwater dip the Pacific fish. Why we, is that? We do we do uh, targeted dips on the Pacific fish, uh, mostly just because uh, they're a lot more stressed when they're come in because they've been uh, shipped for so much longer. Uh, okay. with the Atlantic the Atlantic stuff is is real close, so that that. Not not as much of an issue, uh, and uh, for for whatever reason, uh, we we actually see more flukes uh, in the, on the Atlantic fish, and that's one of the primary reasons to freshwater dip uh, your marine fish. Good to know. Well, Jimmy, you got that next question highlighted. So Willer wants us to ask you, how do you correctly bleach dip a fish? <laughs> correctly. <laughs> so I, I I want this this wholeheartedly answered here. I get this a lot. Correctly, bleach dip a fish, and then put them in batter. <laughs> oh, we're being serious here. Uh, we get this question a ton, all the time. Uh, the, there are actually, uh, you, I guess you could call them bleach. Uh, there are treatments uh, that are used in uh, for disinfection purposes uh, that you can treat while the fish are in there. Uh, I, I don't suggest doing it, uh, but uh, I have it, not gotten that answer ever i'm I'm actually shocked that there's actually a couple treatments where you would use it um i would say what 99.9 percent of times don't be dumb and bleach your fish uh, uh yes and absolutely that point zero one percent of time you uh want to consult a veterinarian <laughs> yes there there are a couple products out there that could they could broadly be considered a a bleach that are that are actually uh aquarium treatments don't bleach your fish this one is, uh, uh, we're going to try to glean a question out of this one, because this is a quite the uh, multi-paragraph. I'm quite curious about broad or not-so-broad range of intelligent of fish behavior and fish personality. 
Uh, very simple fish spend most of their lives and all of, all of their time feeding, schooling, and shoaling, apparently sleeping. But animals only need uh, very simple brains and nervous systems to achieve these tasks. For example, long-term memory might not be very important for a nomadic school of filter-feeding fish. As a result, they may not display any interesting behavior outside their typical activities. Predator fish, on the other hand, might actually benefit from better memory, problem-solving skills, so they can hunt and outsmart an uh, intelligent prey. These kinds of fish are, I think, more likely to display a broader range of individual personality. Has this been true in your experience, or do you see these, quote-unquote, feed fish, shoaling fish, uh, have a lot of character and personality as well? So I think this is uh, specifically brought towards you in your background so many years at Seagrass Farms and seeing all the uh, hundreds of different types of fish come through. You get to see a broader range of behavior for them. And, uh, yeah, definitely an interesting question. So the question is, is is an Oscar smarter than a feeder goldfish? Is that what it is? Uh, Do you see more personality in an Oscar than a feeder goldfish? Oh, sure. And what exceptions are there for uh, smaller, you know, shoaling fish? Yeah, I, I'm not, I mean, it, it'd be, you know, 100% anecdotal, but. Uh, I feel it, like you need a, really, a fish psychiatry really degree say. for that. Yeah, it's, uh, fish behavior is, is a whole different realm. You know, it's, it's, it's even less studied than uh, fish health, which, which is in its infancy still, honestly, you know, compared to humans and stuff. So, uh. I, I'm sure there's some fish behavior experts out there that definitely have uh, some actual hard data on stuff like that. But uh, I, well, let's I, change I, the I question. I, I don't know that they have more personality. Uh, now, uh, like uh, if they have problem solving skills and stuff like that, I, I would definitely say once again, anecdotally, but just just from my observation, uh, I, I'd say there are definitely fishes that uh, have better problem solving skills than others uh just watching them you know at at, at seagrass figuring out how to how to feed and stuff well let's change but, the question uh, and pick, i bet elephant noses are smarter let's, let's change the question and pick two then what do you think is the the fish that's the most intelligent fish you've ever seen and what's the damn dumbest uh i'd say the most intelligent fish are the archer fish and that, would you uh, let them do your taxes <laughs> no so no. Why with the archer fish? Uh, uh, you know, spitting the uh, water out of uh, out of the water up onto the the leaves to knock bugs down into the water. I think that's pretty pretty darn smart. And what's the dumbest variety of fish in your opinion? Uh, I uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd I'd say uh, one of the one of the ambush predator fish that just sits there and, and waits for something to swim by and helps it down. See, I'm gonna take a crack at this one. Uh, we're gonna go. With, That's, that sounds like you. The correct answer is endlers. I mean feeder guppies. Feeder guppies. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking more of the predatory. More of the predatory fish that sits there and just waits for food. That's kind of like Rob. That's opportunistic. That's not dumb. Rob's fat and happy for a reason because he's big brain. Lazy. <laughs> there we go. All right, Adam, you get the next one. Okay. Why do black goldfish generally slowly lose their black color before they die? I've seen this happen a couple of times. Longest transition time was about two years, and that goldfish was at least eight before it started to change color. Ooh, ooh, I want to answer it, but I'll let doctor. Yeah, uh, typically a lot of that's going to be diet 
and uh, lighting. Uh, and I've I've never seen a a, a black quote unquote black you uh, raunchy lion head even the expensive ones uh, with time that that color definitely fades. Well, uh, it, you it, also have to take into the consideration that uh, the the fish that are grown in Asia are buku loaded with uh, with lots of hormones as well. So to go off of this, because I, I've been asked this a couple other times, and I'm pretty sure that when they say black goldfish, when they go to the you know the fifty cent spot at their local fish store and pick a comet goldfish, and it just happens to be black, it's not a breed that's created to be black. It's a goldfish that's common goldfish that it's in its juvenile colors. When goldfish generally are raised, they morph colors down the road, and some of them take years before they actually lose the infancy color in most of these situations as well. I've had, you know, batches of the, like 100 goldfish that you'll get in those scoops and grow them out in a pond, and suddenly there's no black ones left after a year and a half of being out there. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, a goldfish and, and will change. all of them will, will change their colors as, as as they go. Not even just the black ones. And you know, when people talk about black goldfish, most people are are thinking black moors, um, the black arandas, and that sort of thing and stuff. And and like the doc said, I have seen where they've they've you know less intensity in color, but I think it totally has something to do with the diet and the hormones that they're juiced up with overseas. Well, even in a lot of these like koi competitions that we like, you went down to that uh, the the was it fall show? But they actually have the koi show that I go to on a, uh, occasion when COVID wasn't happening, and they would have moors that you know competed and that they would sell there. And juvenile colors um, is one thing, but also as a fish ages, like even koi, they change color as they age. They no longer have that you know youthful beauty after eight years. You know most koi. Um, their colors blend, and they they just have a uh, older tone as compared to a nice youthful young fish. And moors are the same thing. I had a moor for years. It was beautiful black. It was show colors, and then as it aged after having it for years, it started to have a gold tummy. It's just part of uh, part of aging. Even my cats now are turning white, and they're orange cats because they're old. Yep. All right, Jimmy. We save all the good ones for you, apparently. I don't know. I didn't do this. I swear. It's just, just the how it rolls. So who's that from? N- Knoxville. 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 He wants to know: Does the piss cycle actually work? So just to clarify for Doctor, the the piss cycle. In case you haven't heard it, which I know you have, but to clarify for the audience is: to start an aquarium, you have to go through the nitrifying cycle in the tank. To start it up, people can either you know set up a tank, let it sit for a good long amount of time. Uh, people add a little bit of fish in there to try to create waste to start the cycle. Otherwise, they can purchase a product. They call it bacteria in a bottle to start the cycle um, artificially on their own. Uh, some people, and I am I'm really mean this, really do believe that you can just take a piss in your aquarium and that'll be good enough to start the cycle. So uh, does the piss cycle actually work, doctor? Uh, I've never tested how much uh, the peeing in a tank raises the ammonia level. How about a pool? Uh, I, I, I would say I would say you'd need to pee in it quite a few times, uh, because uh, you you need to get up to about two milligrams per liter of, of total ammonia uh, before you're really going to be able to start cycling. Uh, I I 
I'm a proponent of fishless cycling, uh, just regular Parsons ammonia. Uh, just throw some in the water, uh, keep measuring it. Uh, if you'd like to buy uh, some of the bacteria in a bottle, that that's fine. Uh, whichever one you, you choose, uh, we do use some uh, proprietary uh, ones at Seagrass ourselves, and so do so do some farmers. Definitely, uh, ammonia does start the nitrogen cycle. So theoretically, I guess you could, but I wouldn't suggest it. All right, I have some friends that are not to be named. Right. Let me make this clear, Jimmy. Why are you looking at me? Because I've this never is your question. You at, you read it. I peed in a hot tub when I was drunk a couple of times, but that's it. That's you're just starting the cycle. Yeah. All right. So a couple of guys they wanted to measure <laughs> this. <laughs> they set up a 55 gallon aquarium. They got a step ladder and they took a nice long pee. Why not? Right? Why not pee in a cup and just pour in? After a few, a little bit, and the filter stirred everything around. They dip measured to make sure it had the appropriate amount of ammonia. And as gross and bad as that tank smelt, it did. And, you know, they just did future water changes and they had a cycled tank. Uh, However, don't pee in your tank. It's not worth it, right? We talked about uh, bacteria that you're adding. It's not just adding ammonia. That's disgusting. I mean, I don't care the excuse. And there was no fish in this tank when they did it. I can't explain how dumb peeing in your tank is, but I get that all the time. People ask me, hey, can I actually pee in my tank? <laughs> Technically, but don't do it, right? That's, it's dumb. Seagrass Farm sells a couple of different uh, bacteria in a bottle. Um, I saw two of them today on, on, the, on the list. They're relatively inexpensive. They go a long, long ways. You also can go to your, your pet smarts, your pet coes of the world. They also sell that. But just remember that... If your bacteria in a bottle freezes, it's basically useless. All right. So I'm going to. Yeah. And another thing on that, uh, dry nitrifiers uh, really don't exist. Uh, There there are some dry products that will feed your nitrifiers and and really boost them. But uh, if it's not a liquid, then it's not going to remote nitrification there's supposedly supposed to be some dry nitrifiers that have come out of asian territories that have worked but they're not nitrifiers that came out of an aquarium they're terrestrial and as much as they'll eat the ammonia and start the process they are not going to live in your tank long term and it's just limping through until your normal nitrification is done I, i i'd agree with that statement all right, so I'm going to take the next couple questions just because they kind of all reside in each other because we've gone down a rabbit hole now. Uh, does it matter what I drink before I piss to cycle my tank? Um, uh, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not a doctor. All right, don't do Mountain Dew. Straight water. Alcohol, Willard. Beer. Lots of alcohol. Vodka. Oh. Vodka. You know, we've, we've, we've heard people have tried to start their tanks with vodka. So Don't listen to any of these fools. Don't pee in your tank. All right. Uh, can I drink my fish water? Yes or no, doctor? Absolutely not. Why not? Uh, I think they should. Pathogens. <laughs> <laughs> pathogens. All right. We talked about wait, that wait. enough. If, we if talked you have to, to ask, you should just go ahead and do it. We, we talked yeah, about it at the beginning. Out of- that, that's what I'm saying. And, yeah. and while you're drinking your, your fish tank water, I'll also take a blow dryer and hold it in your hand and I just see if you're electrocuted. It says in, in clerical notes under, underneath, it's scratched out. It says, and if so, what are the health benefits or detriments? I'll, uh, also, just let me sell my tank water. 
<laughs> well, you theor- here. Here's what you could do. You could sell your tank water from cycle changes to people that want to use it for like a fertilizer and stuff. As long as it doesn't have any medicines in it, right? Or you can tell your little neighborhood kid you that could. it's Red Bull. Right. Drink it. Oh, God. We also have, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard this craze. It's mentioned here in the next, uh, next thing of gamer girl water. So the idea is these popular streamers, and this is for the people that are listening that, you know, stay out of the uh, internet lifestyle. Um, if you go on Twitch, the normal people on Twitch are video gamers, content creators, all kinds of stuff. But then there's like attractive, you know, women that are sitting there just talking to guys, getting their attentions and trying to milk money from people. And there happens to just be some people that decided that they're going to sell as a product their bath water to, uh, you know, what they call simps, people that would, you know, decide that this person's attractive, hence they're going to get attention. What? That, that's a real thing. It's a real product. People sell their bath water. So uh, I'm just saying, if you're going to do like some random stranger's bath water versus your aquarium water, they both have their risks. That's a hard decision to think about. I would save your money on bath water, and I would go over to Japan where you can buy women's panties in a vending machine. See? <laughs> but that's me. All right, moving on. Moving you on. Know, I, I kind of want these people that want to drink tank water to sit in a bathtub full of Kandiru's. Is that a possibility? <laughs> With a blow dryer in her hand. <laughs> you, you should offer that. I, I'm going to. Can you give me some Kandiru's? No, I can't. I've go. heard some old, some super old school fish keepers throw around stuff like sunlight will keep fish healthy and that makes them less prone to diseases. Do you think it's true? And if so, should we be keeping fish outside by windows or with UVB lights over the tanks? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, I would not keep my tank by the window. Uh, you're you're going to die with algae. Uh, you're, you're also going to have to uh, deal with uh, temperature fluctuations quite a bit. Yeah, they, they, there is some truth to uh, you know fish needing sunlight. Uh, you know, people don't do too well without uh, getting sunlight every once in a while, too. Have they ever measured the UVB rays in an aquarium, how deep UVB goes in aquariums? Because I know that they measured it for lizards and stuff. Well, that's yeah, so hard. Yeah. I'm I mean, sure it's been done. Uh, I that, That's not my specialty, though. There's so okay. many things that affect it. You know, what the P- pH is, you know, one of them. But just the tannins or how dirty your water is, if you're, how you're filtering it, can adjust, like, really how far that penetrates. But a lot of factors to consider. I think that even if they had tests, I don't think it would be something conclusive. Uh, <laughs> There used to be a rule of thumb that I saw on a couple of fish boards that you have to keep fish of the same continent together, otherwise they'll kill each other. As just I've a rule of thumb. Rule. I I've heard of it. I don't agree with it. Instead, do your homework about how fish aggression size and environment work. But uh do you have any other rule of thumbs or do you somehow believe in this, Doctor? Uh you know, if if you're if you're a full on biotope type person uh obviously you're not going to want to keep you know south american fishes with uh you know old world old world cichlids and new world cichlids you know in some people's mind don't mix uh but there it's not like there aren't regions in those continents that were are similar and that you could keep fish together so that's more of a personal thing uh as long as you're not stretching the parameters of those fish too far right is mixing kale for the yellow pigment ZX 
the accenthin into your fish's normal food actually effective in brightening their natural yellow color? Uh, so uh, astaxanthin it, it may may be uh, the the term you were reading. Trying. Uh, and that is uh, it, that is true. Uh, uh, carotenoids help with that as well. Uh, that that's going to be your reds and your yellows. So okay. that kind of goes in the same effect as like people that eat tons and tons of carrots will turn a little bit orange. Kind of the same thought process. Yeah, yeah. It's the 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 carotenoids, uh, the uh, beta carotenes and, and stuff like that. that and, and the uh, astaxanthins uh, help with uh, yellows and reds. Cool. All right. So the next one is. Um, hey everyone, I had a lemon tetra I rescued from a crayfish. The crayfish managed to eat the fish's tail to his body. Will it grow back, or what's the course, best course of action? This is from PMH4783. Oh, I mean... All depends, on what, severity. depends on the tank mates, for one, number one. It, it, I mean, if it's a lonely lemon tetra, and, uh, and it's still moving around okay, then doesn't have an active infection uh, at the wound site and then i'd say you're good to go let it live out its uh the rest of its days but if it's in a tank where it's take tank mates are going to pick on it because it's uh you know half a fish now then uh then <laughs> you may want to go ahead and, and euthanize the poor guy i i found that uh you're gonna hate me for this one taking the fish and dipping its nub in salt um, can help in certain situations because the problem is is scarring. Uh, that, that's the issues I have now. You're just with, making shit up now. with other stuff like certain catfish. It'll burn off barber uh, bar, barbels if you left in a long uh, long time. Like you can't have Corydoras and expect just to dump um salts directly in your tank without dissolving it first. You'll burn them. But in the situation such as that, I've had a fish where literally. It had uh, stuff that went on, missing the back tail, and I took the nub, put it in dry, uh, literally dry salt, just like like you would poke it in there, put it back in the tank, and it encouraged growth. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's going to, it, uh, for one, it's going to kill any secondary bacteria that are there. So it, it, it's, that's not actually such a bad idea. Uh, potassium permanganate uh, can also be used in that, in that method. You make a slurry of the potassium, dab it right directly on the wound. Uh, it's pretty much doing the same thing, chemically cauterizing, basically, rather than burning cauterization. Yeah, like I said, it, it, I mean, if the fish is still, it's not going to grow a tail back, unfortunately. If it's down to the peduncle, I mean, it's down to the peduncle. You know, I, I don't want to point out the obvious here, but didn't you guys, like, slap a tail on a dolphin down there in Florida, put it in the aquarium? Yeah, they certainly did. Winter the dolphin. That's right, and and I was there uh, about three years ago and stopped and saw Winter the dolphin. And uh, man, that dolphin gets around pretty damn good with that with that tail. So, yeah, yeah, prosthetic tail. It's amazing. So do that to your tetra. Go out and yourself a prosthetic <laughs> tail. I'm just saying. We're gonna see pictures now from kids that are gonna be like, "Oh, my fish lost its tail," and they're gonna super glue foam on the end of it just because of you. No, no, no. You have to use your 3D printer. Oh, okay. It's because 3D of Disney. It's because of Disney. That's why. Thanks, Disney. All right, your next question, Jimmy. What are the benefits and the drawbacks of feeding saltwater food my Malawi sickle? Hmm. Not much, honestly. Uh, now, the other direction, it, 
you don't want to do so much. Uh, uh, freshwater fish can pretty much digest anything that that comes from the ocean. Uh, saltwater fish are not good at getting nutrients out of things that come from the freshwater. Wonderful. So uh, this one's specifically, that last one was from Mr. Pink 158, by the way. Uh, this one is from a hardcore ramen lover. How long have you been in the aquarium hobby for, Doctor? Oh, since I was very young. Actually, I just had a birthday, and uh, my mom uh, does this thing where she posts three pictures uh, for, for your birthday. And one of them uh, was when I had a giant blonde afro, and I was probably six years old, and I'm sitting in front of my favorite tank. So, 40-plus years. We'll say lifelong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I noticed how he kind of skirted that whole issue. Yeah, lifelong. Lifelong. All right. Adam, you got the next one? Yep. Um, are there benefits to of exposing fish to diseases and bacteria that they would come in contact with in the wild? Kind of like you hear about uh, exposing your kids to certain things at the farm just so they have immunities? Uh, I, I don't endorse that. Uh, there are, when you're dealing with tank raised animals, uh, that they do have naive immune systems. So sometimes you can get an issue, uh, where you put uh, tank raised fishes in with wild caught fishes and they may get sick, but I'm not going to say, uh, you know, subject your animals to something that can make them ill purposely. Um, I, I was trying to analyze another question that someone else sent me on the, on the same lines. Uh, just another anecdotal note on that. It, most of the time we see the opposite, uh, being the case. Take rummy nose Tetras. That's like, I like to use an example. I bought, was it two bags of rummy nose Tetras? A bag was a hundred each. All right. So 200 rummy nose Tetras. They sent me one wild by mistake. Now I like getting wild, but generally I don't like to mix them. Like you said, because we have issues. The, the problem is, is a lot of the wild aren't exposed to what's in our aquariums and the aquariums aren't exposed in the wild. Well, you're bringing them to the aquarium. So they're not necessarily wild, aren't acclimated to aquarium environments. Uh, those rummy nose Tetris came out of, you know, four to 4.5 pH. And now they have to come in my 6.5 to 7 pH and pretend to be acclimated. Drip acclimation can only go so far with uh, some of those scenarios. Now people may like appreciate wild, but in that particular situation of the environment, I was going to bring them in not probably my best choice. So most of the time it's definitely uh, backwards where you want tank rays just because they're more cultured for our environment. Um, next question. What do I treat internal parasites with like worms, uh, freshwater environment? Garlic salt. <laughs> I hate to say it. He shake and bake. Hate to say yeah, it, but. Everybody There's says garlic. Multiple, multiple uh, anthelmintic or, or dewormers or warmers, whichever term you choose to use uh, out there on the market. Uh, Levamisole, fenbendazole, uh, albendazole, ivermectin. There's many out there, uh, and there's uh, you can get most of them at uh, feed stores. Can people get fishworms? Just like leeches. What, which kind of worm? Like, like uh, the tapeworms and in, the tapeworms in fish don't go in humans. No. Okay. But like, is there any worm, any parasite that you know of that could go to a from a fish to a person? 
not not a worm. No. You got to excuse okay. Adam. He watches a lot of river monsters where they talk about stuff crawling up people's pee holes. Adam, no, pl- plenty plenty of zoonoses, but uh, no, no no worms that I know of. Adam, I was always wondering. I, I told you, Adam, just go to the doctor and have him look at it. I told you that twice now. <laughs> Shit, you got insurance, son. Get it lanced. Yeah, go, go have the doctor take a peek at it. Am I up next? You are. What are the end-all parasites, meaning the ones, if you diagnose, if correctly, to just give up and not even try to help recover the fish? So I think what they're asking is... Where you just bleach the tank and say, What parasites it. are you just going to go, screw this, I'm out of here? Kind of like Adam and <laughs> Blue Ring Octopus. There's no cure for myco. Uh, that that would be uh, that would be number one on my list. There there are some other diseases out there. Now, now to to diagnose those, uh, you you need to be on a, a higher level. Uh, so you'd have to actually send them out. Uh, KHV, uh, uh, koi herpes virus, is not a uh, very uh, very not good disease. Uh, spring viremia of carp, that'd be another one. Typically, if it's a uh, notifiable disease, uh, which uh, can be found on the OIE website, that, that's something that's not good to have. What is the, the, the thing that has gone through our koi here in the United States at different farms at different times that have shut them down? What, what is, was that? Uh, that's that's koi, koi herpes virus. Yeah, K, KHV. Uh, at, at one time, they were depopulating uh, facilities that had that, uh, but now it's uh, been found to be pretty much endemic in the u.s now so uh they're not suggesting that anymore so are they using anything to treat that or are they just taking their losses no, no there's uh there's no effective treatment uh at this point unfortunately uh spring viremia of carp is is along the same lines and uh they they will still depopulate a, fa- a facility for that disease koi herpes virus is what uh, wiped out that lake in minnesota was it a year and a half ago a, an entire big lake in Minnesota. Um, they found a couple dead goldfish on the uh, beach. And a couple weeks later, they saw every carp in the entire water body dead on the beaches. They were dr- grabbing hundreds of, um, not native co- uh, carp, but the ones that were already in the water, brown carp, the traditional common carp. And it completely wiped the entire, uh, all carp species from the body of water. Um, so now the DNR have been researching on how to weaponize it to remove carp populations because carp is an invasive species in Minnesota. They knew that they did that on purpose. Well, I think that's why they just <laughs> threw goldfish on the beach between you and me. So what what, uh, ki- what type of carp or what type of koi is that or carp that we see? Are they call it the Asian carp that are, that are Eurasian, Eurasian, Eurasian. And I mean, I've seen it like on river monsters and stuff where they're showing they're going down running electricity into the water to kill oh that's asian carp yeah yeah i thought you meant the ones in minnesota no. that's that's actual asian carp asian carp and so the, the ones that jump out on your boat yeah i mean they're actually knocking people out because they jump up when the boat goes through the river system and they'll jump up and you'll end up with 100 fish in your boat and two of them in your eye yeah it's pretty crazy i've seen that yeah wild so what's the most evasive species that you guys have down in florida right now I mean, I know they're for a while. Ooh, 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 pick me. No, he's from Florida. No, no, retirees. He's from Florida. Retirees. Retirees? Yes, retirees. <laughs> uh, actually, no, because of COVID, they're not here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, no, they, uh, 
the lionfish right now is, is probably the worst uh, water wise is the most invasive species but uh i mean you also have to take into account the the walking catfish that have been here forever that almost get you know no press anymore but uh they're they're terrible for the, the natural environment here you guys are just one giant melting pot of invasive species like you got snakeheads you got boa constrictors you got like name it and it's somewhere in florida Feral pigs. they got really cool monkeys yeah. Yeah, there, there's some monkeys around, uh, iguanas, uh, agamas, the giant, the giant snails that eat the drywall in your house. The, yeah, the land snails. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, actually, my wife was on CNN uh, during the uh, the land snail issue way back in, uh, I think it was like uh, 90, 89 or 90. So do they yeah. still have a bunch of them or have they pretty much gotten those wiped out? No, I, I haven't seen a land snail in years like how attractive is anderson cooper in real life oh excuse me this is the 90s it barely be worth wolf blitzer never mind no one cares all right adam you got the uh next one again that class question that we did about the parasites was from uh, got skilla the next one's the fish squad you got that question adam yeah how do parasites get introduced well you didn't have okay, i'm just Depen depends on the parasite well, we'll have to have more specific questions going forward. Um, next yeah, I mean, it depends on the life cycle of the parasite as to how it would be introduced. Uh, some parasites can be introduced by, uh, you know, into ponds by bird legs. Or I just think that that question came from a COVID society, if you know what I mean. I'm thinking it's, it's like, you know, they meet at the parasite motel. Uh, fish were eating <laughs> bats, and now they're all under at risk. So. That's correct. Uh, next one's by FedEx. Not... Uh, Fed X with the letter X. Uh, what pros and cons are using different types of tank substrate? So I'd like to even turn this up a bit. No, Jimmy, we're not talking pro about sand. rock. I'm pro sand. I have now met in the middle and do rock and sand like gravel. What do you recommend doctor? Uh, that that's uh, personal preference and uh, make, make sure whatever you're using isn't going to aggravate the fish. So if you have uh, a, Things that like to live on the bottom, you probably don't want really sharp things on the bottom. See how he took that political statement? He's he not on. He's not on Team Edward or Jacob. It's, it's kind of like he asked who he voted for, and and he said I voted for Kanye West. Yeah, it didn't offend anybody. Just like I did. That's right. <laughs> Twice. 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 <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Mailed right. one in and stopped in and did it at the end. Right. All right, Jimmy, uh, answer Fishful's question. This one's actually a good one. I worry that some of the hand soaps or antibacterial gels could be unsafe for shrimp or fish. Any recommendation on aquarium-safe hand washing? Absolutely. Uh, soap, number one, is horrible for fish. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Never, never clean your, your tank with soap. Ever, 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 ever. Water and bleach. And, and then uh, if you want to make sure there's no bleach in there you can uh oh he's asking for hands sodium. but uh never never you use soap near your tank uh, that includes on your hands make sure they're rinsed really really well uh after you use soap but before you don't want to use soap uh if you want to disinfect your hands before putting them in your tank uh just regular old isopropyl alcohol is the best thing you can use it will not hurt your fish uh, any hand sanitizer that is only isopropyl or ethyl alcohol and uh, 
just just a a a, a gel, then then you're going to be okay with. Uh, but if there's uh, no scents, no colors, uh, nothing like that, uh, you you want as close to to seventy five percent ethyl or or isopropyl. Now I want to add to this question because we had a gentleman that uh, messaged me before. This was a long time ago, and it just jogged my memory. He had a bottle of Swiss Navy water based lubricant that fell into the aquarium, and half of it spilt in. Uh, I don't I mean, even want to know how it ended up. I immediately, well, he might have it in his bedroom. You don't know. I immediately told him just do a, you know, water changes um, and uh, get that stuff out of there. But, uh, you know, um, what are some of like the worst things that you can get in an aquarium? And does water-based lube really matter? Uh, the, I, I really don't know about the water-based lube. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do know soap is definitely horrible 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 it is very toxic to fish yeah this is ask dr fish not ask dr ruth okay so pay attention around is that a thing is, is there a ruth show dr ruth i need to subscribe apparently wow. all right the next one is from aliens <laughs> how should we calculate stocking for our tanks what is your opinion on the one inch per gallon or one inch per cubic uh or one cubic inch per gallon except uh, I, I've never been a fan of either of those, uh, really personally, uh, especially the length one, I the, the cubic one kind of makes some sense if, if you're actually measuring the real size of the fish rather than just the length of the fish, because, you know, you could have a long skinny fish or you could have a, uh, a short tall fish and, and those fish aren't the same. So uh, those inches are, aren't the same. All right, I'm, uh, I'm going to give a bad example here and just blow everybody's minds. I'm going to pick two fish, and the reason I pick this is just to, you know, shit on people's theories that the inch per gallon or cubic inch per gallon is a thing. I have a ball of shark that I'm looking at. The ball of shark is what, 14 inches, Jimmy, give or take? Well, we'll say 12 inches, right? That ball of shark is going to need length. He's going to need to have area to swim back and forth, and even then, their jumpers, clearly mine has a, a busted-up nose, and they just, they need that space. They're not going to need a, you know, a 50 tall. It's not going to work for them. They're going to need the space. Whereas the same length fish for like a, uh, what are those? Um, Willie loaches? No, no. African <laughs> butterfly fish do get 12 inches long with the long uh, lace tail. Uh, honestly, you could put those in a 20 gallon tank and they're going to be happy. The way you diagnose a happy butterfly fish is if it sits like a cork in the corner the moment you feed it turns on it hits the food and then it goes back in his corner is happy because they don't move they're waiting for prey to show up and when it shows up they hit it quickly that's a happy fat fish it'll be the most boring thing you've ever seen in your tank but happy fat doesn't need a lot of space same size fish ball of shark needs a long place to swim well compared- yeah, a- absolutely it, yeah, it, it's really going to depend on, on, on the fish. I mean, one goldfish will crap as much as 10 neon, as far as I'm concerned. Right, and, yes. And, uh, you know, you're talking about inches. I mean, you got a coolie low shit three inches long, and you got yourself a, a fantail goldfish at three inches long. You know, it is 20 times the fish that that coolie loach is for amount of waste and stuff that will go on in that tank. Yeah, I just mentioned uh, the size for them to swim and live, not, not waste at all. Like, that's an entire other equation that adds to the factor there's too many things to go into it. Absolutely. I think this one's yours, Jimmy. How often should I totally tear down and clean a tank? 
substrates, decor, etc. So how often should you tear down your tank? Uh, I don't ever suggest tearing down your tank unless you're going to buy more tanks. That is correct. There you go. Best best answer of the night. There's no reason to tear down your tank unless you want to change out the color of your gravel or somebody puked in it. All right, Adam, you got the next one by Lando. Uh, generally, how often should you vacuum substrate? That's going to depend on uh, the, the fish and your stocking density, uh, but at least, I mean, bare minimum once a week. But, uh, you know, so some tanks are going to require daily, depending on how you keep your fish and how you feed your fish. See, I'm a guy that has yet to vacuum his substrate in three of his tank, uh, tanks on purpose because uh, he doesn't leave a lot of waste to sit. And uh, my gravel isn't that, uh, that dense in the back. And honestly, I want a place to perpetrate a cycle in the tank. And these are my, my sump tanks. So there's a lot of water going through them. Not a lot is permeating to create uh, um, ammonia-style bacteria. So I've yet to, yet to vacuum them. So I'm assuming that what you're mentioning is something for a closed system. All it has is a filter in the back, and they probably have at least two inches of gravel. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and and I'm talking, you know, on I think you're on the more advanced hobbyist level. So I'm next level, Jimmy. Yeah, Doc you're next, said it. You're next level crazy is what you are. All right, uh, who's next? I think it's me, isn't it? Alien says, should you vacuum substrate at all? There's arguments for that as well. And there's, I, th- I say that there's some uh, scenarios where you wouldn't do it as often. Uh, as again, like I haven't done it for my, my tank for six months. I probably need to do it. Honestly, I should, uh, should get in there. I, I shouldn't take out my gravel and wash it, but definitely vacuum goes a long way. How about that one there? The fish dream? Mm-mm. No. It just asked him his dream, dream fish. I asked a fish dream. I want that answered first. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Has anybody hooked up fish to uh, like a an EM? What is it? That, <laughs> is it EMG? EMG, or you know what I'm saying? EKG. EKG. There you go. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, brainwaves. So again, the question is, what is your dream fish, uh, doctor? No, it says dream dream fish. I, I clarify with Mr. Wubbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dream fish. I don't know. Trying to figure out how to work a tank into the house which we haven't had a tank in the house for a long time, but uh, it's going to be uh, for the blue dolphin catfish. I, I, I really dig them. Does your wife know about this yet, or is this still on the down low? That, that, no, that's, uh, that, that, that's her. That's, uh, she's, she's down with that. So, so this has been approved by cool. the government. Yeah. I, I have always found that if you do need assistance with this, it's better to just ask for forgiveness for whatever you're doing before permission. Absolutely. That's why I have four kids. <laughs> uh next one's by freddie you have a favorite coral do i have a favorite coral yes mm, uh no i i've actually never uh never kept a marine tank uh, i thought you were gonna I, say I crush like, coral. i like to, i'd like to look at the corals though i i i dig, I dig checking them out watch i like the coral buffet it's, it's great you never kept a marine tank yet you guys have to take care of it at secrets yep the irony yeah. is real what was wrong with my joke? I mean, the corral buffet, the, the, the coral buffet, corral, coral, same, same thing. Hashtag dad jokes. Yes. Hey, another question I have for you. I've read this over and over that fish have such a short memory and that they forget whatever they're doing 10 seconds ago. How come every time I put my damn net in, 
that fish remembers that that net was there last time and takes off running like it's scared as hell. I mean, do you really feel that fish have that short of a memory? Wait, wait, Doc, hold on, uh, hold on. Uh, it's because you... Uh, no, I'm not naked. No, it's because your fingers smell like cheese. And no. you're talking about my bad jokes. That sucks. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know about fish having short memories. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily buy that. I don't either. And I, I just came off the top of my head here, and I'm sitting here drinking my Mountain Dew. All right, so we, I, have, we have the next question from Adam, Secret Admirer. Uh, boxers or briefs? <laughs> what? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Go ahead and read the next Wait, question, Adam. Um, are there any negatives <laughs> to having live plants in an aquarium? Did you catch that, Doc? Can you, no, no. Can you repeat that, Adam? Okay. Are there any negatives against having live plants in an aquarium? You can't use as much salt. Oh yeah, but uh, I, I mean, it, it really, it really, it's gonna really depend on on what you're trying to do with your aquarium. I mean, the only negatives I've ever had with live plants that I didn't like is if you want to catch a fish and you end up tearing your tank up completely just trying to catch a dang coolie loach or a cory catfish that you want to get out of there because they're either sick or they're being mean or something like that. Or you have freshwater crayfish that decide that they're a lawnmower and gonna clip it all. That is cool. If you've ever seen that. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. All of a sudden, all your plants then, are floating on top. All right. That last question yeah. is from Pepper. The next and, one. Uh, plants can also be uh, more susceptible to uh, water quality changes than fish can at times, too. See? There's just no nothing wrong with it. So would, would plants be a good indicator of overall aquarium health? And They can be. If, if you see your plants starting to not do well, maybe it might affect your fish also? It, it, that you, 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 can, uh, you can watch it for, for sure. All right, we got a bunch more questions. Let's try to blow through these as fast as we can just to make sure we're trying to get everybody's. So from Dirk Kaiser of Carrots uh, asks, do I need to worry about GH for my ghost shrimp? For ghost shrimp? Uh, yes. I wouldn't worry about that. Nope. Because they're a quarter. All right, Jimmy, you get this one by Sam. Why are live bear guppies becoming weaker compared to, say, 10 years ago? Is there a way that we can change this? And this just gave Jimmy a soapbox. Well. <laughs> I just, I just personally bought, I, I just bought 300 guppies that are locally bred and I just ordered another 300 today. And, um, I totally agree with that, that, uh, the guppies that we're seeing are a lot weaker. And if you can find a good strain, you know, locally that somebody has been working with for a while, I've had much better luck. What do you see? Inbreeding. Uh, see, see the same thing. And, and you are correct. Not enough hybrid vigor, uh, not enough new bloodline being brought in. Yeah. I mean, uh, We've had Steve Rubicki from Angels Plus on, on this program, and his wild crossing, he'll take wild angelfish and cross them with his domestic angelfish, and they have so much vigor compared to other angels that you pick up uh, you know, at your, at your stores. Um, and that wild gene sure, certainly helps that, the whole overall health of the fish. Absolutely. Got that next question, Adam, by Pepper? How should you respond to people who claim their beta lived for four years in a bowl? And what's the best way to cure bloat in a beta fish? Uh, I've seen betas live longer than four years in a bowl. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend it, but I have seen it done. You know, it, it's, the bloat thing is going to depend on what's causing it. My mother had a beta in... <laughs> I thought you were going to say your mother had bloat. No, no. she. You know those, like, bowls that they put on the wall? Like, they're like a half bowl, but you hang it on the wall right. flat? Right, she had right. Bo- she had one of those for six years, and she got away with it 
because she would do a water change every two days. I mean, the, the, the bowl was about a gallon and she put it right above the heat register. So the water was any, any given time, 80 degrees. That's how she get, get by with it. But for the exceptions, yeah, it definitely doesn't extend their lifespan for sure. All right. Back from the Kaiser of carrots. Uh, how do I get to the live stream? Well, it is at twitch.tv forward slash aquarium guys, sir. You should come join us and, uh, Listen to the debauchery live. We try to do these out of our Discord at 7 uh, p.m. Central, although we are at aquaticaffinity.org's Discord and uh, joined by a very full audience this uh, this week. So certainly uh, certainly check it out. Now, this one's for you, Jim. That's a good question. How fast will Coriodoras eat their eggs, if at all? And will Endler feeder guppies eat Cori eggs? In my experience, guppies will eat anything that they want to eat uh, as long as something's not chasing them away from it. Don't have experience with uh, quarries eating quarry eggs. There's so many different varieties of Corydoras. For instance, like our normal bronze Corydoras versus something like the more finicky black Corydora that you don't really see in the hobby. They cost like even like wholesale $30 a piece. Um, very different uh, behaviors. So I'm just going to go with the bread and butter quarries. The bronze what we call salt and pepper and albino. Those, in my experience, when I bred them, haven't been the ones eating the eggs. They lay them, they kind of ignore them, and all the other fish eat them. Now, given the opportunity, if you just had just quarries in a tank, eventually, I'm assuming they would eat them. Uh, quarries love frozen bloodworms. In fact, almost like carnivorous activity, the moment you put frozen bloodworms in, they go kind of crazy, slurping up like little spaghetti noodles. So protein in the tank where eggs are concerned, I've seen them nibble it, but generally the other fish in the tank are more opportunistic. And so once again, we've decided that endler guppies are the devil. Uh, feeder guppies. You see that it was crossed out endlers, feeder guppies? Yeah. Right. Okay. You guys are dicks. Uh, next one by Pepper. Go ahead and read that one, Adam. How can you improve the quality of life in older long fin betas? And then can plants purchased from a store that keeps live fish with their plants potentially cause ick in a tank? Uh, Ick's not going to plants. No, so I wouldn't worry about that. You know, How could you improve the quality the of life of grandfather beta? Yeah, giving it the best environment you possibly can. You know, uh, I, I suggest, you know, a, a nice tank for, for a beta. Uh, uh, I don't suggest hanging them in little cubes next to each other so that they flare and, and go crazy. Uh, that's that's not really good for them. It's very stressful for them. But put it in a nice tank with a with a filter on it. It's not going to hurt it if you care about the fish. So for my uh, behavior, because I've been given like out of the fish that you donate, number one is goldfish and koi. They'll just drop them off at your door. Everybody in pond season wants to get rid of the goldfish and koi, and you'll every fall Jimmy and I get buckets of them just given away. Other than that, people always want to get rid of their beta. They just got it because their kid won it somewhere or they bought it at Walmart and they're just kind of done with it. And I get a bunch of uh, betas where you can tell, like, they the full uh, fading of color. They have a thicker head. You can definitely tell an old beta from a new beta. And the better things that I do is don't be afraid to have that heat turned up on those, those betas. Not because they're like old arthritic betas, but because... Um, they're not encouraged to move. An old fish wants to, you know, sit and not be enriched. So take a pen. Don't put it next to another beta to flare up. Take a pen, a black pen, and hold it up to the glass every blue moon or so. You don't do this all the time to stress out your beta just to get it to flare. Uh, if it flares, it seems to hold better activity in my experience, and I can get a sickly older beta 
in better shape by making it a flare, say, once every few days with a black pen than just a beta that's going to sit still with the same treatment. Um, also, if you can, encourage slow flow in the tank. Most people, uh, you know, oh, it's a beta, it's not going to do well. Well, right now, I'm looking at a 75-gallon aquarium with a bunch of uh, Roseline Sharks, Basami Rainbows, and this thing has an FX4 below it blasting some major flow. And I have a long-finned Veiltail beta that has been probably the most vivacious beta of my life just trying to fight against that flow. And it's literally the strongest, best beta I've had, and he's probably one of my longer-running ones. And flow does not hurt a beta. Put some slow flow in there. It really does not uh, encourage some uh, natural behaviors. And another natural behavior, too, is to feed a baby endler guppies and let it eat. <laughs> feeder guppies. Feeder guppies. Thank you. I keep saying endler guppies. But I mean so feeder long. guppies. Th those are all great points. <laughs> All right, uh, Lando says, if you slowly add tannins to your tank, using you can fluke yourself. <laughs> you a voice from the past. <laughs> a voice from the past. If you slowly add tannins to your tank using botanicals, will lower the pH, have an effect on fish that, you, that don't like pH so low? Uh, I mean, how low are you talking? Uh, really, m most freshwater fish thrive anywhere between 6.5 and 8.0. I mean, and, and then you've got the fish that like it ab uh, above 8.0, and you've got fish that like it uh, below 6.5. So let's pick on some right. of like the, the, the cichlids that just love that battery acid. You know what I mean? Uh, even those fish, um, tannins from botanicals aren't going to cut the cheese. You're not going to have enough. It's going to be more of an ammonia problem breaking down in your tank and spiking toxic levels than it will ever be tannins breaking down and lowering your pH to have an effect on fish. And if you want to really believe that, you can talk to my friend uh, Scott from uh, the Tint podcast. He has uh, the tannins, or was it uh, Tannin Incorporated? I can't remember the business name off the top of my head. Forgive me, Scott. You're going to kill me. But go check out his podcast, The Tint. He has everything you need to know about a botanical-filled uh, aquarium and how best to do it. Uh, you got that one for pepper there, Jimmy? So what if you had tannins in a brackish tank? Salt tends to raise the pH, but tannins lower that. Would the pH level, would the pH level out, or would one trump the other? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to be fighting there. I mean, the, the, there, are, there are areas here where we have tannin water flowing right out into uh, the, the, the brackish uh, rivers and stuff right down the road from us. But it, it, it's really not... It's not going to lower the pH that much. And, and a lot of the uh, brackish tanks, the fish in them are very um, tolerant. Most of the fish are very tolerant of higher pH if there are brackish fish in the first place. So I really wouldn't worry about it. And actually, the Tint podcast, he's talking about that on some of the newer episodes, I think, in the last couple of weeks. There you he's go. making a biotope with, like, brackish, you know, tan and aquatics water. Yeah, Scott's not afraid to do anything. He'll try all this stuff, and he is a wonderful wealth of information. So please check him out. All right, I'm going to pick on one, and this was top secret information because I was doing a lot of research on this. Doctor, uh, I went to a local CBD farm, right, in the area, and harvested a bunch of uh, CBD leaves, the, the marijuana leaves. And by CBD, gotcha. he means? 100% CBD. Like, that's all we're allowed to grow in Minnesota. They got farmer's licenses. I got two friends that have these farms. And they have it tested, the whole thing. 
And leads are essentially get thrown away or squished just to make more CBD oil. There's not a whole lot of value in the leads. So I took a couple of containers over there. He uh, walked through and I got to pick out of these stocks that were taller than me, you know, leaves off of them, bring them home, dry them out and try them as like, uh, why are you looking at me? Uh, <laughs> almond leaves. There you go. I think I was trying to think of the name, like almond leaves. That that like a for yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, I had pretty darn decent results, but uh, I have a, a problem. See, I use shrimp tanks as my example for with neocardinias. Figuring the shrimps are more delicate than most of my tanks, especially botanical-wise. So I put the leaves in there. They began to break down. Shrimp began to devour them, but the leaves did not hold their same structure and then kind of turned to gooey shit in the tank. Right. As they broke down. They weren't like a uh, katapa leaf, an almond leaf, an oak leaf. They didn't hold consistency and slowly break down in the tank, releasing tannins. It just kind of took a dump after a few days. Did your shrimp get the munchies? Uh, you, you could say that. They devoured leaves for sure, but it, it's, it's too much of a mess to really condone people to put pot leaves in. But let's say someone's got the THC variety. Is there any risks of getting, like, is there toxins that you would have to worry about from doing pot leaves of any kind? Ah, uh, that, that I don't know. That, that I don't know. I, I, I've all, uh, often thought that uh, it, it'd be a really good idea to... Uh, Know, try try the, uh, the polyculture and, and uh, aquaponics with uh, fish in in uh, pot. I, I don't know if anybody's ever tried that. Uh, it's got to be someone and, somewhere. And, yeah, yeah. But, they, uh, some, I, I don't know. Somebody's probably tried it and then forgot what they were doing. See, I thought I was sitting on a multi-million <laughs> dollar idea. <laughs> they got CBD for cats and dogs. They got CBD for uh, I think now birds actually. I figured, you know, CBD for shrimp and fish. Come on now. That would have been the greatest idea. But no, it kind of just fell apart and turned to mucky shit. So, so were you hoping that the this, this CBD would make them horny and they'd breed faster? I just wanted it to make a brown water and then had stoners buy pot leaves to put in their aquariums. I yeah. thought it would have been a multi-million dollar idea there, Jimmy. Plus, the other problem is, is that all of a sudden, then you got Domino's Pizza delivering pizza to your house all the time because the shrimp are ordering. Right. You have Cinnabon in your aquarium. Yeah. You, know, you don't know what the hell happened. Tough life you lead here. You got your guppies going up to you. Say, oh, you got a nickel bag? Uh, Lando asks, what's the most favorable way to acclimate your fish? All circumstances from pet store, online ship. Is it drop and plop? Just as dangerous as slow acclimation for a stress fish from uh, shipping? What's your opinions, doctor? Uh, Yeah, this is one I I think we've covered uh, a couple times. Uh, It's really going to depend on on your uh your your level of of being able to to do either uh some fish more sensitive fish i would definitely definitely say trip acclimate them uh there's some fish uh uh that you you can put directly directly in the tank uh just check gauge that that that's really a good rule my my rule of thumb is where did you take it from if you bought it from a local pet store and you're within six hours from your home, drip acclimate. Always. It doesn't hurt. Just do it. I mean, you're not going to have a fish that can be put in there, just drop and plop, be hurt by drip acclimating. So if you can, do it. Uh, if you got a fish that's been shipped internationally, it's been in a bag for three days, the moment you cut the seal on that bag, you're going to be having a gaseous release, and that pH is going to crash in that bag immediately. So you need to be prepped and ready to scoop those fish out of the bag. Um, otherwise, you're going to be having a 
unique flavor on your hand. No. Right, Jimmy? Nope. I When I bring in stuff from the Orient and I open up that bag and you smell the gas, I will put Amquil in the bag. There you go. And I have great success with Amquil. And then Prime. I'll, there's a lot of different ones you can use. And then I will drop. Yes, absolutely. I will drop uh, Drip Acclimate into that bag itself for quite a while. But uh, you can tell how long it's been. When you open up that bag, just from your from your nose and stuff, but Amquil has worked very well for me, and that was taught to me a long time ago by our friends over in West Fargo. If you don't have it, yeah, we no, you got to drop and plop. Yeah, we we use a uh, uh, we use an ammonia binder uh, on all of our incoming fish. And so, is that the same thing as Amquil, pretty much? Oh yeah, uh, y- yeah. Amquil's just a, the brand name that I use. Contact us for sponsorship. Correct. Amquil. Uh, how great would it be? You know how you get those like people that used to go door to door. And like show that your water was too hard, and they like you know put it through a mixture and whatnot, and show you how your soft water can be for you. Well, you know people like do like a Billy Mays test. Like here's a bucket of Jimmy's urine, and they just put Amquil in it. Look at the fish thriving. <laughs> wow, this one's salt in a hurry. Oh, don't try that at home, kids. All right, um, you want to do the one by Corey Twelve there, Adam? Yeah. Are sumps a good idea for freshwater? Uh, it, I mean, are you, if you're trying to increase volume, uh, I suppose so. But, uh, I mean, a, a, as in what? Sumps are a good idea for anything. Come on now. If you can put a sump and afford the uh, extra to build your sump, buy a sump, sumps are just fantastic all the way around. I've seen even people, like, uh, make up these, like, you know, fake beta jars and then put, like, a small trickle system <laughs> to have, like, a mini sump below. <laughs> Like, have some fun. Sumps are a great way to uh, customize your filtration and handle a lot more load. If you have a 55-gallon tank and you have a 20-gallon sump below, you're just adding essentially more equilibrium to your tank to handle more accidents. There you go. More accidents. Jimmy, want to answer Crimson's here? What is your opinion for using carbon in filters? Good idea? Bad idea? Uh, It depends. Depends on what you're doing. Uh, If you're medicating... Uh, then you're going to have to take your carbon out for the most part. Uh, remember, carbon's going to remove odors and colors. So any any chemo- any medication that you can smell or that you can see, uh, carbon's going to take that out. With marine fish, uh, there there is some evidence that carbon fines uh, may lead to uh, holding the head and lateral line disease, HLLE. So you know there there's that to take into consideration. Another question I got for you on, on carbon is how often do you suggest changing the carbon if you are using carbon? Uh, yeah, once it, well, that, that, that's going to depend on, on what you're using the carbon for. I would say you, you, should, you should use carbon before the water goes to your tank, and, and then you really don't need carbon once it's in the tank. All right. Uh, on top of that, are synthetic resins a good alternative to carbon, or are they just not worth it? And this is by uh, Dragneal. Zeref Dragnail. There you go. It, yeah, d- depends on what, what what you're trying to do with it. Uh, it softening resins. Uh, once again, you're going to want to do that b- before before the water hits the tank. And uh, you know, I know there are some. You know, uh, for some of these canister filters, there's some resins and stuff and carbons you can put in there. But uh, it, it's really a personal choice. All right, are canister filters a good idea for saltwater and why? Like I said, I've personally never kept uh, marine a, a, a marine aquarium at home. Now, we do work with multiple types of filtration uh, at and lots of people that have had uh, 
marine setups. Uh, everybody that I've known that has had a successful marine setup did not use a canister filter or the canister filter was for one specific purpose, not as their filtration. All right, Adam, you got Lando's question? Will you crash your cycle if you redo all your substrate with brand new substrate? It can happen. I, I have seen that happen. You have to remember not all of your nitrification is taking place in your filter filter itself. Uh, you've got lots of nitrification going on in, in the substrate. You've got nitrification going on on the glass uh, of the aquarium itself. I'd say that the, the two biggest points, of course, is going to be your sponge filter, normal hang on the back filter, canister filter, wherever that media is normally being held. The second is your gravel. Sand does mm -hmm. not hold near near the cycle because, again, penetration through the sand does not happen. It, it stays very clumped and connected, which why is why you have to actually take a stick and um, sift through your sand every blue moon just to make sure that you're not getting any anaerobic pockets that get stuck that cannot be released in the sand. Whereas gravel is definitely that biological sponge that's going to hold a good majority of your cycle, which is why am I sticking up for gravel here? Come on now, Jimmy, go away. Yeah, you should just take a stick and, and swirl it around on your sand. Yep. Just It's like I that Harry sand. Potter movie. It's like flick and swish or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I, I hate sand. I'll, you'll never talk me into sand again. <laughs> you just hated taking it out. Yeah. All right, uh, Jimmy, you got Wubbs' question. Opinions on having pest corals like Xena and pest plants, duckweed hornwort, in a tank on purpose. Well, duckweed and hornwort I have on purpose already. So they're, they're, they're trumped right there. I wouldn't say it's pests just because duckweed you can scoop. It grows so fast, but just, you know, like I have duckweed on most of my tanks. I have air bubbles on the bottom that help uh, keep it under control and let light pockets get to the tank. But uh, I think more of the pest corals is a good uh, question. Um, why would people have those on purpose? So they can use uh, their lasers. Xenia, pulsing Xenia, I, I don't think there, there's very few things that are as uh, relaxing to me as watching a, a big, big, big mother colony of pulsing Xenia. So I wouldn't call those pests. Well, there you go. Both of them can be described as pests or not pests, depending on who's looking at it. Just like snails. Trumpet snails suck. Ram torn snails are good. Willard wants yes. to know what would be a be benefits of keeping fish in an environment that is not sterile that has stuff like bugs, leaves, and bacteria from the outdoors. We just went over, you know, uh, botanicals and how it releases uh, tannins in the water to help uh, with pH and other things in the, the tank. But um, I have a firm belief, and so does Scott. Go check out, for, for this one, Willard, listen to the tint, man. I, I, we can't, uh, uh, you know, bump this guy enough. He, he has like 10 to 15-minute episodes on a podcast, and this guy really gets in hippie-style to why tannins and botanicals are necessary in the tank. But I have a firm belief that having those botanical-style things like driftwood, leaves, pine alder cones, cholo wood, all not only release those tannins, but also give a place for microbacteria to grow, which do inherently feed your fish and make an overall better nitrifying cycle. I even have a, a belief that enough of the botanicals out in na nature is why ick isn't in the wild. But that's just my theory. Anything to add to that, Doctor? I like I, I, I like uh, going in natural as, as far as you can. That, that's uh, always going to be better for the animals. Would wild-caught tropical fish benefit from allowing slow temp swings? For example, 
letting it tank with neon temperatures get down to 68 to 70 degrees at night? Not really. They're going to, in the wild, they're going to migrate to the parts of uh, the river that uh, don't have as much temperature swing, just naturally. That's what they're going to want to do. A daily temp swing is not, not ideal for fish. So the fish will automatically, or I should say, go looking for the warmer water. They'll go yep. into the shallows, they'll go into the areas where, where the water doesn't flow so quick, and, and they'll actually seek out the warmth. And Correct. So, and so they, they're not looking for cold, they're just looking for constant warmth, uh, kind of like a single guy. <laughs> that's now, actually the best one I've ever seen. That, that's a good one. There you go. Now, that being said, there are some species that do benefit um, to encourage them to breed by doing small um, daily temperature changes, swings in the tank. Just to just to spontaneously get them to spawn, but very few species. I think um, a, a lot of a lot of fish will will spawn after a water change because of the water temperature, like it's raining out in the wild. Is that what you you see, Doc? It can be that. Uh, also, uh, pH related uh, spawning can be very pH related as well, as, as well as light cycle. Perfect. Well, I think we should pause there. We have a bunch more questions, and definitely a bunch more questions flooding in. So what we'll have to do is we'll have to come back to the Aquatic Affinity Group if they'll have us back again. I know we uh, tried to be in our best behavior, but didn't succeed looking no, at you, I, Jimmy. I went like hell. Looking at you. Um, but again, thanks to the Aquatic Affinity, aquaticaffinity.org. Check out their community. They have a uh, very uh, full uh, audience tonight and a wonderful crew that'll help 24 hours a day on their Discord if you got questions. Otherwise, you can certainly check us out, aquariumguyspodcast.com. The bottom website is our Discord link. That's where we normally do our podcasts at uh, 7 Central on Mondays. But biggest thanks goes out to you, Doc, for coming on. And uh, big big thanks again to, to Seagrass Farms. You are a pet store needing some uh, some fish. Certainly give them a contact. Uh, tell them that uh, Rob's Jimmy, Adam, and the Doc sent you. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, say, uh, I'm very, very, very happy to be here again. Uh, and. Uh, love to come back you know what i really like about the, the aquatic affinity group is what she told us at the beginning of the podcast and they're here to help people to help new people and that's why we started this podcast is we want people to get into this hobby and love it as much as we do and if we don't encourage the younger people in our lives or our friends or neighbors or family everybody's going to get out of this hobby and uh, this is such a wonderful hobby if we can help each other man, this is the best thing that we can do for our hobby. Well, if you like what you heard, guys, certainly go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com on the website. You can give us a few bucks to help keep the lights on. Go uh, see our merch page. It's in the show notes. Uh, buy a hoodie, whatever else. Uh, again, we uh, we like continuing to do the podcast, and it does uh, cost for hosting and other things, so we do appreciate your support. And, you know, tell a friend. You know, tell them to stop having feeder guppies and listen to the Aquarium Guys podcast, get some real fish. Love you, Adam. You can go fluke yourself. <laughs> if anybody wants me to sign a a Endler's thing, I would be more than happy to send them a signature somehow. I'll figure something out with Rob's. Oh, yeah. Just and use my code, not Rob's. Yeah, again, we we have a contest between us all on the merch store. Again, R O B B Z for five percent off. Adam or Jimmy all for five percent off. Pick your favorite. And if you pick uh, Adam in the lead, I mean that's just that's just shameful. It is very shameful. 
And it's just sad that Adam really thinks that antler guppies are real. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, here's where I see antler guppies. Okay, Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, unicorns, antler guppies. Same thing. <laughs> Is that right? Same thing. So if if you want to see some cool merch, we have some cool merch made because uh, we pick on Adam because we like to. And uh, there's like phone cases you can get, t-shirts, and it says Endler Guppies, and an Endler scratched out, and it says Feeder Guppies. It's an uh, it's been a, a standing joke we've had on this podcast for the last year and a half, and it's not really a joke because it's true. Endler Guppies do suck. And we had a gentleman that reached out to us this week. Please, I want to get a hoodie, but I need all three of you to sign it. So he's shipping it to us. We're going to sign it all, and we'll do that really for anyone bes- until we get... Uh, Get too too busy and and full of requests. So yeah, so, what happen. So if you want us to sign a hoodie or something, send a hoodie to us with a fifty dollar bill cash <laughs> oh, in the pocket. A fifty dollar bill. And if if you you know it may come back to you, it may not. It may it may buy a beer for this podcast. We don't know, but it'd be kind of fun for everybody just to see what happens. And maybe Rob will send you some of these crappy uh, marijuana leaves that he had in the bottom of his tank and send it through the postal service. And we'll see who goes to jail, you or Rob's. CBD, it's CBD. James, you got anything for us? Uh, yeah, uh, say Seagrist, see the best. Uh, and uh, thank, thank you very much for having me. And uh, uh, be happy to come back anytime you'll have me. All right, and last notes for Zook that's uh, listening in chat. No, nothing here. Just thank you guys so much for showing up, especially you, Doc. Uh, it was wonderful having you guys. Once again, a thanks to Seagrass Farms. Um, a shout out to uh, Sandy Moore for allowing us to uh, steal the good doctor. We really appreciate it and stuff. And uh, reach out, help people, and uh, do, the, do the right thing and buy a new tank. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. And then suddenly you'll feel like a little goo dot. Like, oh, I would have never caught that had I not felt up every square inch of my plant. Right, right. So many words in that were just wrong. I mean, you guys yeah. can cut that out, make that hilarious. That is all for you. Yeah, you should definitely. Yeah, you should feel See, like- I was being on my best behavior. You guys are insinuating that. Come on now. Don't bleach your fish.